This is episode 161 of Alohomora for October 24th, 2015. Hello, Hello listeners, and welcome to another episode of Alohomora, MuggleNut.com's global reread of the Harry Potter series. I'm Michael Harley. I'm Kristen Keyes. And I'm Allison Sigurd. And our guest this week is Hannah. Hi, Hannah. Tell us a little bit about yourself. (laughs) Um, Okay, so I am a Gryffindor. Ooh! (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) hooray. Nice. And I I started reading the books, I think when the first three were out, I was probably in like fifth grade or something. And I'm sure my parents heard on NPR, your child needs to read this book. So <laughs> that's kind of how it all started. And of course, I read them over and over again and loved the movies when they came out. And uh, But it really kind of resurged. For, like, I never knew about any of the kind of the fandom stuff happening online. But um, when I was in grad school, and this was the days of like Pandora. I make it sound like it was so long ago. It was like three years ago. Um, but, (laughs) but this is where Pandora, like you could only use 40, uh, hours in a month. And when you're in studio all day, like that goes by in a week. Um, so I like needed something to listen to. And one of my friends was like the Harry Potter audio (laughs) books. And so I got the Jim Dale ones and just like fell in love all over again. And, and I, you know, continued to listen to them during studio and I listen to them at work now. My, My coworkers make fun of me, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I, and, um, when my boyfriend heard that I had been invited to be on the podcast, he was like, now you're going to be a super Harry Potter nerd. And I was like, babe, I'm, I'm pretty sure I already am. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, gee, for somebody who wasn't too, um, aware of the online fandom, this is a pretty big step from that, isn't it? I know. I'm a little, I'm kind of like, wow, they really... Can, me? Are you sure? <laughs> but, but yeah. Well, you were a good pick. You were an excellent pick. Listeners, Hannah read us a poem and everything for her test recording. And now I regret <laughs> everything. <laughs> <laughs> I'm totally, we're totally putting that poem at the end of the episode. But but yes, and she and she also introed her test recording by saying, "Can you all see me? Can you all hear me?" So you know she is legit. Well, listeners, we just want to remind you before we get off and running that this week we will be reading chapter 11 of Deathly Hallows, The Bribe. So make sure you read it because this is a very important chapter and we will be having lots of good discussion. But before we go into this week's chapter, let's review some of your comments from last week. Our first comment comes from Rose Lumos. They say, I have two points about Sirius and the letter. First, I think the reason Sirius never told Harry about the letter is because, honestly, they didn't have as great as a relationship as Harry thinks they did. Almost every conversation they had between Goblet of Fire and Order of the Phoenix was about Harry and whatever immediate danger he was in. There was a lot of talk about the Triwizard Tournament, the DA, and about the war, war, but they never learned much about each other. Think of all the normal teenage things Harry does in these two books. He has to ask a, ask a girl to be his date to the Yule Ball. He kisses Cho and get, goes on a date with her, and he has little fights here and there with his friends. Yet, as far as we know, he never discusses any of these things with Sirius. That being said, 
We never hear much about what Sirius is going through as he hides out from the ministry or helps out in the order. Harry and Sirius always talk about the current events of the day, but besides the one conversation about Snape's memory, they never really have a heart-to-heart conversation. That being said, where in the world did this letter actually come from? Sirius left his house as a teenager, and we assume he hadn't returned until the summer Voldemort returns, when the order is reformed. I assume Sirius had his own place as an adult, but once he went to Azkaban, he presumably lost everything. I'm betting the Dementors don't let you bring anything in, so where did he get the letter from? Did he always have it with him? Did someone, maybe Lupin, hold onto it? Did he retrieve it from his last living place? Seriously, how did it end up in Grimmauld Place? I guess it's the same mystery as how Sirius had his wand. What do you guys a, think about that? I've never thought about that, but I i mean, yeah, where where did it come from? <laughs> yeah, I was thinking the same thing. I, I would probably say it just doesn't seem like it would be legal to just have everything, all of your possessions taken away just because you went to Azkaban. Yeah. So I'd say it had yeah. to be somewhere. Um, it was like a little box of Sirius's belongings that the ministry yeah. had. <laughs> yeah. And do you so, think they gave that, I know some commenters were saying maybe like what you guys are saying along the lines of, you know, the ministry taking those um, belongings and then giving them to the family. Maybe, maybe. But yeah. I, I feel like she would. Her, his mother would have just thrown him away. You know. Oh I, yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's the way. Yeah. So maybe I don't know. Maybe he had them somewhere, and he went and picked them up when he got out. Or maybe Dumbledore got them back for him. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe yeah, he. I about that. Well, no, and he couldn't really hide them anywhere else. So I thought that was a pretty interesting comment because I never. I never picked up on, yeah. oh, wait, how did that letter? I'm still, because I, I, I think, you know, if Kat was here, she'd love this comment, especially the first part, the idea that Sirius and Harry don't really have as good of a relationship as maybe we all dream up in our heads. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But I still, and, you know, I I guess, yeah, the, there, is a, there is a logic gap and, a, and a, an explanation gap, a plot hole for why that letter is where it is. Um, but I still, and it, and maybe it's because of distance and time, but I just am so boggled that Sirius has no idea that this letter exists and wouldn't show it to Harry. Like, even if, even with their kind of strained relationship at the time, mm-hmm. everybody's just, like, the thing I always think about is that everybody is so interested to show Harry everything that exists that's left of Lily. <laughs> Like, yeah. like, oh, here's a picture of Lily. Oh, here's a hair that Lily let let me keep. She, oh, here's a, <laughs> Lily's that's, that's eyelash. <laughs> like, I have some of Lily's hair. To give Harry everything from that Lily and James left behind. Um, Maybe he just this forgot is like prob- about it. Well, I'm assuming that has mm-hmm. to be it. Like, it's and it, it it just that makes the most sense is that it's just faded with time. Yeah. Isn't it like um, tucked in a book too? So maybe yeah. Or well, I yeah. guess we don't know where it originally was. Originally because... was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. And our next comment comes from Reluctant Ravenclaw. And they say, hey, guys, I'm not sure if anyone has brought it up yet, but I did notice a little something in the chapter I thought was worth pointing out. When Harry first notices the sign on Regulus's door, it is described as a pompous little sign, neatly lettered by hand, the sort of thing Percy Weasley might have stuck on his bedroom door. 
I thought the connection between Regulus and Percy is interesting. In this chapter, we learn that there is a lot more to Regulus than first meets the eye, and he definitely wants the person that Sirius describes him as in Order of the Phoenix. Could this be foreshadowing about Percy, that he won't end up being what his brothers think him to be at this point, and will instead make the decision to come to the light side like Regulus? I'm sure there are many more comparisons that can be drawn between the two characters, like their initial high ambition and aspirations, Percy to rise to the top of the ministry and Regulus to serve the Dark Lord. But these were the most striking to me. I'd love to know what you guys think. P.S. I've been listening since the very first episode and I'm a long-time lurker, first-time commenter. So thank you for commenting. Yay. Yeah, welcome. <laughs> we always love first-time Also, mm -hmm. a really great comment. Yes. A really interesting comparison that I'd never thought of. I mean, mm -mm. Percy and Regulus, and even like where they fall in their families, you know, um, obviously being younger, almost overlooked brothers i feel like regulus would have been a little bit because sirius was such a troublemaker in that family um mm -hmm. that regulus would be a little bit overlooked and then i guess with percy being sandwiched between bill and charlie and the twins very interesting i like that comparison because also yeah. they both redeem themselves in the end yeah i, well, like I still it. hate percy oh <laughs> <laughs> well, i'm sorry about that then because uh <laughs> I'm not a Percy apologist at all, but but I do love how he kind of turns it around, you know, and and mm -hmm. the thinking that Regulus did the same thing, and that maybe this is foreshadowing. Like that's that's a really cool thing to pick up on. Yeah, no, yeah. I really like this comment. Yeah, no, there the, we talked last week actually about when Harry finds the photograph, and how he there's kind of a weird moment where he actually finds a point of comparison between Lupin and Pettigrew. And we, you know, I'm just thinking there's, there this book, there are a lot of, like perhaps more than any of the others, there are a lot of character comparisons going on to, to clue us in or give us hints about how people are going to behave. Um, so yeah, I th and I think Rowling does do that on purpose. I think, I think especially in this case. Um, but yeah, I that's I think it's because at this point in Deathly Hallows she can afford to do comparisons like that because we know all these characters so yeah. well now. Yeah, that's true. Um like if you if you like comparing to Percy wouldn't mean anything very early on in the series, but comparing somebody to Percy now, like that means a, that that carries a lot of weight to it. Yeah, it's way more um, loaded now that we yeah, are definitely. mad at Percy. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> and then and in a way it kind of you've already you know, we get a little bit of buildup that we're not really supposed to think very much of Regulus anyway, mm -hmm. um, thanks to Sirius. Um, so yeah, there's definitely already been kind of that buildup of a comparison. This last comment comes from Runald Waslib. Could Dumbledore have let such things happen? Had he been like Dudley, content to watch neglect and abuse as long as it did not affect him? That's from page 177. I found this line in the text so striking when I read it this time around. Are there actually any similarities between Dumbledore and Dudley? Could Dudley have forced Vernon and Petunia to change their behavior towards Harry? Also, is this the only time that Harry actually uses the word abuse to describe what happened to him? We always hear him say things like, The Dursleys don't like me, they don't care what happens to me, etc. It's interesting to hear him label it specifically as abuse now that 
he's finally permanently away from the Dursleys, and only after he's heard about another person, Ariana, who may have had similar experiences. Oh, snap. If wow. only Noah was here. Wow. This, is like, this is like the line of, di- of of narration that Noah has been waiting for since Sorcerer's <laughs> Stone. <laughs> okay. That- wow. That's another one. Yeah. That's heavy. Um, that is real heavy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I- this is heavy, Doc. Alex was the same same thing. <laughs> we had to get one Back to the Future reference. I was going to say, I heard Kevin like 20 times last night. <laughs> this is fascinating. Mm-hmm. But I think it goes to that, that hidden parallels thing where we've just kind of found out the truth about Dudley. Mm. And mm-hmm. soon we'll find out a little bit more about the truth about Dumbledore and his situation. Not saying that's fine. Like, the Dursley situation is fine because it's not. But <laughs> interesting that she would have compared those two when we get some pretty big reveals about both of them in this book. Mm-hmm. Well, isn't perhaps isn't the comparison of characters not just good for foreshadowing, but also good for red herrings and misdirection? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because um, I think... I mean, but in, in a way, it's it is kind of the same, and it's kind of different. I think the thing that's similar is that Dudley, in the end, reveals himself to be more complicated than Harry always assumed him to be. Yeah, yeah. Um, the unfor- I think the unfortunate thing, and we've discussed this already, but the unfortunate thing about Dudley and his complicated nature is that it's not really explored. It's just like, oh, by the way, I'm actually really layered like an onion. Okay, bye. <laughs> <laughs> like <laughs> that's. That's Dudley's exit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have hidden layers, but you never asked, so yep, so I'm, yeah, so I'm gone. But Dumbledore, on the other hand, of course, we get to not only do we get Dumbledore's perspective, we're going to get multiple perspectives from a lot of different characters about mm-hmm. Dumbledore oh, yeah. um, throughout the book. So Dumbledore is going to at least be explored more, and I do think there's there's some pretty stark differences in the situations um, between the two. I think uh, Dumbledore had a more complicated family life than Dudley. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I think it's interesting that at this point where Harry is doubting Dumbledore with like all the stuff that he just heard and then to add another thing onto it, like, oh no, is he actually as terrible as Dudley? (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. I I don't know. That is a, that's a very like large accusation that Dumbledore was content to watch abuse if it didn't bother him. Um, that's pretty, you know, that, and that, that I think does go, that takes Harry to an extreme as far as his beliefs about Dumbledore, because I think Harry knows that that's not true. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Like Dum- Dumbledore, the thing that tortures Dumbledore the most, of course, as we know, is that, you know, his family was broken apart and through the death of Ariana and that, you know, he has to witness that when he, when he drinks Voldemort's potion and whatnot. And I think... I think Harry, I think Harry knows better than to think that. I think that is taking that to a bit of an extreme. Rita Skeeter mm-hmm. got to him. And what about the abuse? Is this the first time <laughs> he's actually a sane? I think it is. I think so. It's abuse. Well, yeah. If it, I almost feel like, as far as our close reading of it, if he mm-hmm. had said it before, we would have noticed that. Yeah. Yeah. I think That's... the closest we've got before is like a. A throwing a frying pan or something, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And Chamber of Secrets, yeah. yeah. And Petunia tries to hit him with a frying pan. 
which is um, terrifying I, to think about. Yeah, yeah. I, I still don't understand how anybody justified that back in that discussion. I was like, <laughs> well, that's not abuse because she missed. And I'm like, that's not the point. <laughs> I, I, there I are wonder, all kinds of terms of abuse. <laughs> I, I wonder, though, because you can read... I'm kind of playing devil's advocate here. You're good. But you can, okay, you good. can kind good. of read this line. It's a bit ambiguous where it says, had he been like Dudley, content to watch neglect and abuse as long as it didn't affect him. You could say that the neglect and abuse part was more focused on the article that Harry had just read about Ariana than more of a direct comparison to the Dursley's treatment of Harry. Um, oh, see, I don't think you can read that otherwise because it's it's essentially mm-hmm. saying Dudley witnessed abuse by by his parents on Harry. Um, like right? Yeah, yeah. Like it's not Dudley. I, that's being the way I saw abuse. it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's yeah. watching somebody else being abused. Well, yeah, and by by no, being by be by watching the abuse. Because there's there there is an idea out there that if you are not if you are not speaking up against something, you're a participant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that way this is kind of what Harry is saying. Yeah. Okay. Dud- Dudley may have not been committing the abuse, but but you're not he, saying anything about it either. Yes. Mm-hmm. Or so telling he, somebody. Else. He yeah. was still a part of it, um, which he was absolutely. No, I definitely like, agree. I just <laughs> was thinking well, there's there's a possibility if you break down that sentence and its clauses, <laughs> well, you could apply things different different places. Yeah. But well, and you know, I think it was intended to be that way, though. I mean, honestly, no matter how you spin what the like, there, I think the big debate that we've had is whether the Dursleys were physically abusive. To me, there's no question because they did try to hit him with a frying pan, <laughs> mm-hmm. but. Um, and you know, some people have argued, well, she wasn't actually trying. And I'm like, no, no, she was trying. You don't just <laughs> not try to hit somebody with a frying pan. That's a little elaborate of a, <laughs> but, but at the same time, it doesn't really matter what kind of abusive the Dursleys were, like what kind of abuse they were directing it's at Harry. All... It's abuse. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. Cause to say that since it wasn't physical abuse, it somehow lessened, it wouldn't be fair yeah. at all. Like, yeah. No, that's. No. Abuse is abuse. Abuse is abuse. Yep. Yeah, mental, Mm -hmm. verbal, physical, Mm -hmm. emotional. They all, yeah, there's there's a lot of ways to abuse a person. I think, you know, the, and and we have discussed before that the Dursleys were a product of the Roald Dahl kind of villain where they're kind of over the top, but there's, they, they, unlike Roald Dahl, they kind of end up becoming more realistic as characters as the series goes on. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So that makes them kind of complicated to read. But at the same time, they're also very similar to uh, fairy tale guardians, like stepmothers and mm-hmm. um, yeah. the tradi- that traditional role. And those are pretty much unquestionably abusive characters. But yeah, as far as Dumbledore goes, I think it's a little... It's an interesting comparison, but it almost is like a red herring in some yeah. ways, too. Yeah. Well, thank you everybody for all the comments. I believe we had a little over 200 and I read wow. almost all of them. It was couldn't couldn't get them all in unfortunately, <laughs> but I mean, they were all really well and I almost put in the Crookshanks tale from Your Rufus on Fire cuz I really enjoyed it, but sorry it didn't make it into the show. And if any of the rest of you want to read and comment just head on over to alohamore.mugglenet.com and see what other people wrote there's a lot of good things on there 
We've got a few more comments, but these ones are specifically uh, focused in on the podcast question of the week. And last week's question, as a reminder, was, The story of how Regulus got the locket and how Creature failed to destroy it is revealed to all in this chapter. Or rather, the last chapter. What is not revealed is what made Regulus change his tune and defy Lord Voldemort. There are a lot of theories as to this. There is implied evidence in this chapter that the treatment of Creature plays a part in his decision. But as far as we can remember, it has never been elaborated on or confirmed by Rowling. What event do you think pushed Regulus over to the, quote, light side? Kristen especially is enjoying the use of the phrase light side (laughs) (laughs) this week. (laughs) Um, But our first response to the question comes from Wizard or What, uh, and it actually had an interesting follow-up response by Eileen underscore Prince slash Jones, but we'll read Wizard or What's comment first. And Wizard or What said, I had always thought that the reason for Regulus's version uh, uh, version was quite simple. Horcruxes are unusually evil, even for dark wizards. This is why ordinary dark arts books refuse to give instructions on them, and why making multiple horcruxes is completely unprecedented despite millennia of wizarding history. I think that Regulus was shocked to discover that Voldemort was evil enough to make a horcrux, and decided to thwart him, hence the contents of his note. I was fortified in this conclusion by Regulus's note to the Dark Lord in the locket. If he had some other reason, I would have expected him to include it, so that Voldemort would know why he had been betrayed. As with most racists, however unpleasant they are, I don't think that dark wizards truly properly regard themselves as evil. I think that they see themselves as superior, and entitled to rule inferior beings, but not as malevolent. Making a horcrux, however, is clearly uncompromisingly evil, and I can see this as lifting the scales from Regulus's eyes. But I can imagine Creature's treatment as helping with this. Unpleasant things happening to someone Regulus loved might have helped convert Regulus's shock at Voldemort's depravity into something more like hatred and a desire for revenge. So what Wizard of What was essentially saying is that uh, Voldemort takes dark magic to an extreme in his, in, in his making of the Horcruxes, and that goes perhaps beyond what his followers were willing to follow. Um, as his followers really are in for his cause to um, be prejudiced and kind of carry out their prejudices. Um, But Eileen underscore Prince last Jones responded by saying, so murder is okay, which is actually what rips your soul, making it possible to make a horcrux. But the act of act of taking your ripped soul and using it to become immortal is where you cross the line. I guess I'm just trying to understand the thought process behind these people's brains <laughs> and that is i think a fair question because mm-hmm. death eaters while they yeah. are carrying out their deeds they have murdered a lot of people oh yeah yeah so i, I think this this comparison to racists is a is kind of the point of it almost Horcru- making a horcrux is so unnatural that is why that's uh, but like this comment explains if you're equating Death Eaters with racists, then they, they'd see it as natural that they are superior and should be over someone. But making a Horcrux isn't natural. And I think that would be the thing that would freak people out, if that mm. makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I yeah. can see that. Well, and- like, it's still not right, but... No. Well, and it's funny, <laughs> I guess there's an element, too, of... Um, like, the Horcruxes 
are really so personally entwined to Voldemort. Like, they don't reflect anything about his cause in relation to other people. Um, They're not... It's not like... I mean, ostensibly, I I never really could picture Voldemort sharing his knowledge of making Horcruxes with his followers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's Um, almost kind of like... There's what the Death Eaters think that they're doing, and then there's and what, what they're actually doing. and what they're actually doing, and like what Voldemort yeah. really truly intends. Like there's kind of a hidden yeah. layer of that that includes the Horcruxes and all that sort of stuff. So mm-hmm. it's it's interesting. When we were first going through this comment, I was like, no, that, that's not it. But but I think there's <laughs> <laughs> there's some validity to that. I think, and mm-hmm. and that he loves creature. Just saying. But. Yes, no, yeah. and I think <laughs> yeah. I think that yeah. is a big part of it. Most yeah. of the comments did hit upon that. Most of our responses actually did say that um, Creature was the major turning point, um, which I think he was. I think Creature's, Creature's what, in my opinion, kind of set R- Regulus kind of in motion. Like, he, I think to some degree Regulus had probably already suspected something, but had ignored it, because as far as Rowling told us, the only way he figured it out basically was that he was smart and that Voldemort bragged. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And so he put two and two together. Um, and I think Creature's story was what set him over the edge. Okay, so interesting thing, interesting question that this brought, <laughs> this discussion brought up for me then. I'd, I'd say we can probably unequivocally say that his Voldemort's most fanatical, insane follower is Bellatrix. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. By, like, leaps and bounds. (laughs) Do you think if Voldemort shared the knowledge, because he he does share somewhat a few... We know he shares something with with Bellatrix because, of course, how protective she is of of Hufflepuff's cup and how angry she gets when she realizes it's gone. He doesn't probably share everything with her, but he shares enough. But let's just theorize for a minute here. Would... If Voldemort ever shared the secret to making a Horcrux with Bellatrix, do you think she'd do it? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, make make her own. Yeah, do yeah. You think she'd make her own. Oh yeah. Horcrux? Oh, yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure because... that Slytherin has ambition. <laughs> oh, also, well, it would also it would allow her to stay with him forever. Yes, yeah, and connect with that's him true. on a different level than oh, everybody yeah. else who's following exactly. him. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah, that the, the, having a connection that nobody else has with him. Mm-hmm. That's certainly something that, yeah. Oh, yeah, she'd cray-cray. She'd do it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when she's so, um, when Narcissa is saying, oh, I don't want Draco to carry out this mission, she's like, I would happily give my children. Bellatrix would probably, mm. like, kill her child right. to make a horcrux. Oh, gosh. Oh, Sorry, that gosh. Got, that got really dark. Unfortunately, but... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, you're uh, yeah. right, but. That's oh, the kind God. of person Ugh. she is. Okay, now I'm just yeah, like cringing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, that's unnerving, but true. Probably very true. I think it is kind of worth exploring. From that comment, it's worth perhaps further exploring as we go on. Because I think we're going to see it a lot in Deathly Hallows. Just the idea that maybe not all the Death Eaters exactly hold this to the same values. Our next comment comes from Jay Dozier, who says, One thing that I always found especially interesting is the way Sirius described his family and his brother in relation to them. To quote Sirius, I hated the lot of them. My parents, with their pure-blood mania, convinced that to be a black made you practically royal. My idiot brother, soft enough to believe them. 
Sirius calls his brother soft, which suggests to me that he was impressionable and overeager to please. It seems that Regulus felt things deeply, which explains his dramatic actions in both signing up to be a Death Eater and sacrificing himself in order to pave the way for Voldemort's death. Regulus was basically raised in the mindset of a royal, bred to believe his bloodline was more elite and pure, and by signing up as a Death Eater, he believes he is basically inheriting his birthright to rule over others. It isn't until he actually escapes the brainwashing of his family and sees the cause firsthand that he realizes what horrors he has signed up for. I think Regulus probably had been doubting his decision to join Voldemort for a while, but the treatment Voldemort put Creature through was icing on his fed-up cake. We know he genuinely (laughs) cared for the elf, and perhaps Creature and Regulus bonded so much because, in a way, they were both brainwashed by the same family. One could also make the comparison to Snape. Both bravely defied the cause they originally signed up for once they realized um, on a personal level what following Voldemort actually meant. In their case, losing the ones you love or watching them suffer, and work to defy that cause from within enemy lines. I wish Sirius could have known just how much he and his brother really had in common in the end. Probably the most, I think, worthwhile point. There's a lot of good points in J. Dozier's comment, but the one that I think was probably the best is the comparison to Snape. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. Because yeah. you know that's that's interesting. Of course, Regulus isn't quite talked in the fandom about like Snape is. Mm-hmm. Um, right. But do you think that's you know something? Do you think there's the same similar issues that come up with Regulus in that respect of you know being put on a pedestal by the fandom for the one good thing he did at the end, or you know was? I, and I think some, someone did make a comment somewhere, so I apologize for not citing you. But you basically said that. When people say, oh, a good Slytherin, you think of Slughorn. No, 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 no. Mm. Regulus yeah. is now my good Slytherin. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Because he, he realizes what Snape realizes without the creepy, unrequited love part. It's just, <laughs> it's just genuine caring for your house elf. And, and mm-hmm. I, I don't know. There's, man, he's like Percy. Now he's like Snape. I, I like Regulus a lot more now that we're yeah. talking about this. Well, there's there's also the fact that Regulus, I feel like, did this not for personal gain. Um, got into kind mm-hmm. of turning around. He got into it more because he saw that this was wrong and decided that that was it was wrong. Whereas yeah. Snape wanted something out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. There is though also the fact that we don't know what Regulus did before. Whereas we know all the really awful things that Snape did to children for years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I, I liked what, what Jay Dozier said too about kind of that Regulus perhaps was in over his head when becoming a Death Eater. Like mm-hmm. he was, it was more to mm-hmm. impress than it was perhaps to actually be following along yeah. with a belief system because he wasn't, you know, and that's something we we encounter with um, some other characters. And actually that perfectly segues into our final comment from Hermie Weasley, um, who says, and here's some more great compar- character comparisons for us. It's kind of, we're, we're, we're on a, we're on a roll with these. Um, <laughs> as Hermie Weasley says, during this reread, I have started noticing comparisons between Regulus and both Draco and Percy. Draco, of course, was attempting to live at a future that had been built for him since he was a boy. Seeing as his parents, mostly Lucius, were strong influences on Draco's decision-making during his time at Hogwarts, he took the path that was easy. 
Regulus certainly could have been in a similar situation considering the black family ancestry and all that it stood for. There is no doubt in my mind that Regulus was taught the same values that Voldemort believed, making it an easy decision to become a Death Eater. What better way to make his family proud? Draco and Regulus both, quote, saw the light once they realized just how far Voldemort was willing to go in order to stay in power. As for the Regulus-Percy connection, they had a similar level of ambition, albeit for different sides. Percy wanted recognition and influence regardless of the level of danger his family was in toward the end of the series. Regulus sent his house-elf to do Voldemort's bidding without a second thought. I can only imagine this act was designed to raise himself up as a loyal follower in Voldemort's eyes. Eventually, both Percy and Regulus wise up and realize that some things are more important than power, such as family or a chance to undo a terrible choice you made. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I I I like this part about Draco too. Um, yeah, and about like living up to the family name because I feel like Regulus probably mm-hmm. would have Sirius was such a rebel that Regulus probably felt that pressure to live up to the family name to be what the family expected him to be, mm-hmm. um, which I think is part of Draco's problem too, and. Obviously, you don't realize that until you're a lot older and you start realizing your motivations behind some things. But I think I think that's that's great. That's a really mm-hmm. good comparison. And it goes back to that brainwashing, yeah, and elitist and everything like that that they've grown up with for so long. Yeah, yeah, I I really liked that kind of point because I think that's that's really and you know i didn't i didn't get to actually include this comment um uh but uh one of our commenters nina she left a great comment that compared their situation to um the way that um young children were raised in the hitler regime yeah and that they were bred practically to believe these things that it's it that that their surroundings just made them inclined to believe because they had no other point of view to mm-hmm. look at yeah um that they were exposed to and i think that i mean as as we've already explained before and in discussion and I, th- I think is very obvious in deathly hallows um there are multiple parallels to world war ii and the atrocities of world war ii and the prejudice that that stemmed from um so you know that I, I think this this is another great example of that that draco and regulus are both great examples of younger individuals who didn't know any better yeah. Um, but found their way kind of back to the right, to the right path by, by being exposed to a different point of view, by being mm-hmm. exposed to the other mm-hmm. side and seeing that, you know, it's actually to be in this, to be in a, a part of this and to believe this really requires you to do horrible things. We're about to jump into a chapter that has a lot of moral greatness. So it's kind of this is kind of a perfect lead up to that. Um, but before we do, I just wanted to make sure and shout out to uh, the comments, uh, some of the comments that I wasn't able to include. Um, I apologize if you weren't included in this. I read the comments pretty early in the week, but I wanted to shout out to Death Eater in training, Fooper Tunes. That is quite a name to say, Fooper Tunes. I know what a Fooper is, but that's that's a fun that's a fun poor man too. George's holy ear. Gryffindork, how am I going to translate this? Rose Loomis, Silverus Snape, and they've taken my wheezy. And I wanted to do a shout out at Maxima once again to Nina, who left a great comment, as well as Seeker Holly. Um, both of you, your comments also almost very closely ended up in the show. I just wasn't able to fit them in due to time constraints. But 
Thank you all for leaving your comments on this week's podcast question of the week. And if you'd like to leave more comments or see what other uh, listeners were uh, commenting about, you can head over to alohamora.mugglenet.com to read their responses as well. And now that we have made it through heavy comments, we're going to get on to a heavy chapter. This is a dark Ah, and heavy show. It's so Uh, heavy. All right. So here we go into our chapter discussion. Chapter 11. Oh, the bribe. All right. So the trio have a lead on the locket, but Harry's impatient pacing is interrupted by a surprise visit from Remus Lupin. Everyone is relieved to hear that no lasting damage was done to any of their friends and family, but the drastic changes in the wizarding world since Voldemort's coup come as a shock to all. Lupin reveals some news, and he and Harry get into a massive fight, leaving Harry reflecting on parents, children, and his search for the truth. Creature finally brings Mundungus around, and the new owner of the locket that holds a piece of Voldemort's soul is revealed. So a lot is going on in this chapter. (laughs) Ooh, and before we get to the the wonderful points that you have written out, Allison, can I just, like, briefly touch on a thing that I saw that I noticed from last week? Please do. Big thing that was discussed for the past two weeks, and this chapter almost immediately confirms it, when, um... Uh, when Lupin shows up at the house, um, uh, they they talk about the tongue tying curse on Snape, and I just wanted to clarify that uh, that 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 uh, we 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 were pondering if Moody's like Dumbledore if if his Dustledore ghost was <laughs> was actually useful for anything or if it was just meant to scare people. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the chapter does confirm that it places a tongue tying curse on the individual, and that the tongue tying yes. curse does in fact stop you. From being able to talk about the location, which ties that all up nicely. So, yes, listeners, mm-hmm. the, there, there was an answer to that question. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of this location, um, just at the very beginning, we get a couple little points um, about how the Ministry and therefore the Death Eaters know that Harry owns number 12 Grimmauld Place. So I think that answers a question we were uh, they were talking about a couple weeks ago of do they know where this location is from Sirius's will? And it seems like that's true. But given that, why wasn't anyone there when the trio got there? Um, the ministry had already fallen. Had it just not been enough time for them to go searching out places? Because they seem to have found every other place that could have been connected to Harry. So why was no one there? I just think it was delayed. Like they were getting yeah. to other places first. <laughs> well, because part of what, and this is something that I still have confusion on mm-hmm. with this part, is that I I think you guys are right. I think that it was delayed because they had pretty much almost literally just taken down the ministry. Mm-hmm. But it, it, in to that end, it's it's pretty amazing how, and Lupin confirms well, Lupin. They they have some discussion with Lupin and it doesn't really confirm this because we won't find this out till later, but they're sub, they're kind of positing that how did Harry get tracked, and we re, of course it's revealed that it's because Harry was throwing Voldemort's name out willy nilly, <laughs> um, and that's what made them follow him. So there there's been a suggestion that the reason that they eventually show up at Grimmauld Place is because Harry is still bandying about Voldemort's name. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah without hesitation but that that doesn't break through the fidelius charm so they know he's in the area 
but not exactly where. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, but they can't find him. Um, so I do think there is an element that they did figure it out from the will, but I think the the use of Voldemort's name might have also helped. Um, yeah, I believe that one first. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that might be. <laughs> That's the way I always yeah, thought no, of it. I, I always thought it was too, but very But you're right, because the chapter suggests that it's because of the will. Chapters are wrong. Just a suggestion. <laughs> <laughs> they don't know what they're talking about yet. Yeah. <laughs> Lupin arrives. Um, Oh god. At the chapter. Before <laughs> before we get to like the big stuff that happens with Lupin, let's kind of talk about the news he brings with him. Um I could listen and I could sit and listen to Lupin talk all day. I don't care. <laughs> bring bring it on, Lupin. Throw it at me. Okay. So the first thing we learn is that the order is under surveillance at this point. Um Lupin says he had to run around for three days to get rid of someone tailing him. Um he had he tells them that he had to apparate precisely on the front step of number 12 to make sure he wasn't caught. Um, so there's a lot of crazy stuff going on here. Um, we learn some of the stuff the Death Eaters are doing. They're going around interrogating people, movie makers. It's Diggle's house that, mo- that burned down, not the burrow. Um, <laughs> <laughs> And and we get we get this line that that kind of st- uh, stood out where Lupin says that the order members left at the wedding were interrogated, but can we safely assume that they were tortured? And why would he not tell the trio the truth about that then? Because Harry would freak out. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe <that> yes. <laughs> Maybe well, it's funny because as as and as it's mentioned, I see later in the notes. Um, Andromeda and Ted are tortured, and he'd ha- mm-hmm. he happily tells them that. He's like, oh, yeah. and also these two are tortured. Yeah. Um, horribly. But they're fine. But they're fine. They're just shaking up. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're, Everyone's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I Maybe it is a, an element of them just being, I don't know, that they're too, like like you said, the, Kristen, that he would freak out because they're so close to the Weasleys. I don't, I don't know about that though, because I can also picture them. Just, I mean, I, I would always, I would have assumed that they would have been tortured to some degree because they weren't. Yeah. They probably weren't yeah. giving them the answers they wanted. So, because Lupin says too that, of course, the Weasleys are the only ones who actually know that Harry was at the wedding. Everybody else stands a few people that Harry happily told. I know, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, he gave his cover away to quite a few people, but mm-hmm. um, by the way, <laughs> Lupin's generally talking about people that Harry doesn't know, like oh, all the other wedding guests were horribly but, maimed and tortured, but who cares? But he, but he <laughs> says that most of them got out because of Kingsley. So I, w- I mm. had always just assumed that the only people left would have been members of the order who order. knew mm-hmm. they were coming and were setting up defenses oh uh, yeah i mean i guess so i don't know (laughs) i'm not yeah i'm not sure what maybe maybe lupin's story just doesn't quite clarify who was left yeah like will they casually check their burrow in the attic yeah i just think it's interesting that it's pretty easy to think about yeah they, they probably did something more than just talk to them yeah, and that yeah. He what is their interrogation? Yeah. Yeah. and that he wouldn't he wouldn't just tell the trio like this happened, but everyone's okay, so that they were 
<laughs> Reassured, no one freaks out. <laughs> but like Michael brought up, uh, Lupin does mention that Cruciatus curse, I can't speak, whatever, um, <laughs> was used on uh, Ted and Andromeda Tonks. And maybe you guys will remember, or maybe I just saw this somewhere else. It's suggested that, um, it's been suggested somewhere that Bellatrix was the one who actually did this in particular. Do we think that's plausible? Would that I think happen? I think if it was Bellatrix, they would have been dead. Yeah, she killed her other cousin. She'd have no problem. Yeah, she's she like she Bellatrix is out for Tonks's blood. But this is her Lupin. sister. Ah, mm, she doesn't seem to care about that. Yeah. She has she has a sisterly <laughs> bond with with Narcissa. Mm-hmm. Because Narcissa um, married the right person. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Yeah. I think she'd, I mean, knowing that she'd kill her, you know, her niece because she married the wrong person. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. true. She'd she, almost yeah. definitely kill her sister because mm-hmm. she did. <laughs> so Ted, Ted also represents things that, I mean, he's a Hufflepuff. So that's, <laughs> yeah. That's that's low on the list for that right there in itself. (laughs) (laughs) That's unfortunate. Yeah, no, I I think if Bellatrix had tortured them, they they would have been dead, or they would have had they would have had permanent damage. Yeah, they would been in Saint Mungo's. I know. Well, talking about speaking of people who are dying, um, (laughs) everybody. That's everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Lupin also tells us that the Ministry is trying to put blame for Dumbledore's death on Harry. And, I mean, I can see how people would believe this, but are people really going to go for this? Like, what could they say that would really convince people that Harry Potter killed Albus Dumbledore? See, that's the thing that's so clever. They don't have to say anything because Rita did all the work. Mm Mm-hmm. She has such a following. Yeah. And you have these passive people who just believe because they always read what she is writing and believe what she says. So whatever she writes, they believe. Yeah. Don't they you don't yeah. search for it themselves? I'm learning about that in my PR class. I mean, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Don't you think a public that would be stupid enough to believe Rita Skeeter with, is... without question would believe this? Yeah, that's mm-hmm. very true. Yeah. And if, you know, and if you've honest... never if you've never met Harry you know, like most yeah. of the wider yeah. wizard, wizarding world, it's probably easier to believe that sort of thing about someone you haven't actually met. And you're only getting your information from this one source. Yeah. Yeah, Harry, uh, Harry yeah. is the equivalent of a celebrity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people believe what they hear about celebrities if it's just printed. Oh, yeah. Um, so that's, you know, the unfortunate thing is, I think I think that's, that's an interesting question, though, Allison, because I think we all feel... You know, being able to read it from Harry's perspective, we we as the readers can be like, God, the wizarding public is stupid. <laughs> but and I mean, to, just like our public, that's the thing. Yeah, that's a Yeah. What what do we believe from day to day that we just read? Mm-hmm. You know, without what do we do? Do we always think critically about what we read or what we see on the news, or do we just take it at face value? And I think a lot of people do. And I think, you know, Lupin calls this move a masterstroke. Yeah. And he's yeah. right. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I, I I learned as far as being in my film classes 
back in my college days that you you have to be very careful about what you what what you believe um don't take everything with a grain of salt and just just sit and reflect for just a moment when you read something that you you that that's shocking um or even something that you will happily take as a belief like that you will happily accept maybe you should be a bit more cautious before you happily accept it mm-hmm. yeah um yeah and i mean to the wizarding world's credit though compared to us the Daily Prophet, according to Pottermore and Rowling, is the only news source in existence. Yeah, exactly. Where are you going to find other stuff? Like, you yeah. can't. Yeah, well, yeah, your only alternative is the Quibbler. Or, and I guess they've got, like, radio. Yeah, they do have the WWN, but as far as we know, other than Potter Watch, which will come later, the yeah. WWN doesn't really report news. Like, they kind of just... And I'm Dude. sure that's controlled by the government as yes, well. Yes, yes, so. probably, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure that would be. But even if it... And it's interesting that she doesn't touch on that because that was a big thing in the war. Um, well, talking about crazy things that are happening that people will believe anything, um, mm. we also hear about the new Muggleborn Register. This is awful. Oh, mm-hmm. gosh. Mm-hmm. It, it very much matches World War II parallels like yeah, we were talking about is... before. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But... I every time I read this, I just think, really, no one said anything about this. Like, no one was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, maybe this is a bad idea, you know. Um, especially if we're taking the timeline of this as being in the '90s. So you would think mm. people would be saying, wait, someone tried to do this before, and it really ended very badly. Um, so, in, in addition to that. Um, we learned on Pottermore that Muggleborns actually come from squibs. Um, they can trace their bloodlines back through squibs. So how had this not been proven before? Or is it just being covered up? Um, how had people never heard about this? Um, or had it not been found out yet? Because it's old Pottermore, not true. <laughs> <laughs> old Pottermore's gone. <laughs> Skeptical about what we read. (laughs) (laughs) I think, as far as that goes, because Ron brings that up. um, By the way, just shout out to Ron. He's he's very on it in this chapter. Oh yeah, we haven't seen Ron so on it for a while. I'm very impressed with Ron in this chapter. I love Um, you, Ron. Gotta love him. Love him. But um, he brings up that you know. It, the idea of stealing magic is absurd because then squibs wouldn't exist because they could just take magic. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's... It, Lupin kind of just brush... Lupin and Hermione brush it over and they brush it over, I think, because the reality of the situation... Like you said, Allison, how can people not recognize this because this has happened already? Mm-hmm. But I think what what... What's been implied is that the reaction is, is that families are either leaving the country or they are being quiet because they don't know who to trust. Yeah, Um, that is true. Speaking out is, you know, it's all well and good to say speak out, but speaking out when your neighbor might be, in this case, under the imperious curse might be, you know, uh, the equatable thing would that be would be that you don't know whether your neighbor is in in, in World War Two. If if you're a Jew and you want to speak out about this, what if your neighbors are Nazis? Yeah, that's mm-hmm. that's very true. 
and you yep. couldn't possibly have known that at the time. Um, that was the that was the horrifying thing is that you know it, there were you know people on all different sides during the war who were very in close proximity to each other. Um, yeah. Especially during the early years of the war, you know, it's and it's funny, too, how it, it's it's really great, I think, in this moment, how it's talked about how Lupin makes clear that it, this has been done so quietly. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, because and, and, it sounds to us as readers like it's a huge big deal. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. Well, because we have insider information from the order. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. But the public doesn't have that. And the and it's it's perfect because. If you see, if you if you read or, or or see anything about the early days of World War II, people were astonishingly stupid. Oh yeah, and it wasn't there, but it some in some ways it wasn't their fault because it crept up on them. You know, mm-hmm. the, it, it's not like Hitler woke up one day, did what he did, and then people suddenly followed him in a day. It was very carefully planned, very methodically done. And and each country noticed it at different times. Embarrassingly, we were one of the last ones to do anything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the U.S. did not held out on involving ourselves in World War II um, because we were basically like, well, not our problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, which Until is, it became you know, our problem. Sounds, yeah. sounds like us. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, yeah. And it became our problem. Because Japan bombed us. Exactly. <laughs> and I was like, this is our problem. Yeah. So, yes, there was, even across the world, there was a slow realization of what was going on in World War II. Um, and there and, were differing and, levels of ignorance. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but the Order of the Phoenix is a secret society, right? Like, the average um, monk or the, the average wizard of, probably doesn't yeah. know. So they don't even really know that anyone's fighting against it? I think they've been mentioned, but no one knows who the members are. Because I think mm-hmm. I think Rita actually mentions, like, what yeah, is Rita the true does. purpose of the secret organization known as the Order of the Phoenix? Something like that in yes, one of her true. Yeah. articles. So okay. yeah. I think the name is out there and the association to Dumbledore is out there. But, the but aren't. who actually belongs to it isn't. Yeah, and are they really doing anything? Yeah, I could I could see being hesitant to like speak up if you don't even know who if there's anyone out there or who the people are that would back you up. Yeah. You know, yeah, if you really true. feel like yeah. it's just you, <laughs> that's a little dangerous. As far as your question though about the muggle-born stuff and how people don't know about that, I think that there are in, uh, we've already seen there are invested interests in the ministry. Oh, definitely. And certain people who would pay money, which they have, to keep information quiet. Yeah. Um, there's actually a great bit about that um, in Tales of Be the Labard, listeners. If you haven't read it, change your life right now. Um, <laughs> there is a great there, there after every story in Beetle the Bard, um, Dumbledore talks about the story and actually what its kind of value in 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 the wizarding world is and in social life and one of the stories uh he actually talks about the specifically that lucius malfoy tried to ban it from the hogwarts library um and he was very active in his campaign and there was money was changed in people's hands and threats were made um and he didn't get what he wanted but 
It's not like Lucius is the only individual out there who would do something like that. I think if there was anybody in the wizarding world who had proved that information about muggles and squibs, um, there's plenty of people in the ministry who would suppress that information. And then, of course, in this moment, we get Ron being sweet and protective of Hermione, so we can all have a collective awe over Ron. <laughs> Ron, see, and you know, we I've mentioned a few times already that I've always been disappointed with the fact that Ron never never ends up becoming the war strategist that he's kind of built up to be in Sorcerer's Stone. Mm-hmm. Um, I so wanted that. I so wanted Ron to kind of take control of the of of the army. Um, <laughs> well, but... we don't know that he didn't. He could have well, when Harry was off. Neville himself. did. Yeah, Neville mostly did. Well, that, yeah, which was kind of which was fun in its own way. Yeah, um, but because it was so unexpected. But you know, I, I the the thing about where Ron says, you know, I'll I'll have you study my family tree. Um, that's one of the sm- like Ron's Ron does say a lot of smart things in the series um, more than I think we give him credit for. But that has to be one of the smartest things. Yeah, Ron has yeah. ever said. Yeah. Um, and once again, something that pulls directly out of World War II, or really any war where people are being prosecuted for their background. But but that also goes back to um, the conversation we'd had a few chapters ago with Ron using that dating book to his advantage and mm-hmm. how sincere he is being with Hermione. He's being sincere here. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And she knows it. Is the yes. thing about this mm-hmm. moment? She definitely understands the sentiment behind it. Yeah, Ron's Ron has, I think, more than the chapter itself explains. I think the creature chapter is a is a place for Ron to start evolving his beliefs on things and his behavior towards people. Um, the the creature story is an eye opener for him, and we'll find that out farther down the line. Lupin's kind of last bit of big news. Well, last bit, not mm. really. <laughs> last bit of news before everything explodes is um, about Hogwarts um, and that it's now compulsory, um, which uh, we hadn't known before that it wasn't. So that was some interesting new info. Um, and then Harry has some really sad thoughts on Muggleborns that have always really struck me. Um, he talks about 11-year-olds reading books, reading spell books that might never see Hogwarts. And then he adds in, they might never see their families again either. Oh, what, very sad. What do we think is kind of implying like that'll be done to these kids? I guess maybe I thought about it this time because I'd always just thought, oh, they just won't let them come. They won't send letters or, well, I guess it's late enough that they would have sent letters already. Um they won't let them on the platform. They won't let them on the train. You know what? I, I this line is such a big line. I'm surprised that it's not. It's a line that people don't really go back to. Mm-hmm. Um, because mm-hmm. it's a very disturbing, striking, tragically beautiful line. Um, and I think it, it's funny, Allison. You say it. It it struck you every time before, and it it's it it's hit me before, but this time. It really hit me. Yeah, mm-hmm. same. And <laughs> I I have to wonder, you know, as, as you were talking about it, I was just wondering, you know, is it because, for me personally, is it because of the current world climate? Um, 
you know, we, we talk about Harry Potter frequently in terms of when it came out and the and and it being a byproduct of its time, which it mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. Um, any piece of material is, and it's always worthwhile to reflect on why a piece of material comes out when it does. Um, mm-hmm. In in Deathly Hallows' case, we're talking two thousand seven. Um, there's all you know, in, in in Harry Potter's case, especially the last four books, we frequently talk about the post nine eleven years. Yeah, yeah, um, and how they reflected on the books. And Mm -hmm. what I'm thinking even in this current climate and why this line disturbs me so much is that this line, you know, we, we, there's a conflict going on in Syria where refugees are being pushed out and children are, you know, children are being killed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, but nobody is being spared in Syria and um, they're going to other countries and they're being unwelcomed. They're being told to go back, um, basically to die. Um, and you know, over here in the U S we're having things that, you know, okay, this is, this ties in star Wars in a more unfortunate way. Um, as everybody knows, the new star Wars trailer was released and on Twitter, there was a hashtag that trended um, called boycott star Wars. And not for the reasons that if, if you bring that hashtag up that it should have been, it was because, um, there was a belief that star, the new star Wars movie promotes, uh, is anti-white and promotes white genocide because it has well, pretty much, as we've seen, one black character in it. <laughs> so dumb. Oh, not the, the, the hashtag is dumb. That's and the, the fact that hashtag exists and that it gained traction to get enough so to get attention, mm-hmm. that's disturbing. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's that's a pretty sick reality about our world. The idea that, you know... It doesn't really you know, that we're we're still gonna put down certain people because of their color, their race, their sexuality, gender, background, whatever it may be. Um, that we will happily trend that topic to gain attention and gain, you know, what we want. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. it's you know, and 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 what it goes back to, I guess, with this line is that it affects. We have a generation where that directly affects children. Children are a part of this conflict, and children. Children can still be victims of um, senseless violence, thoughtless violence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And you know, Harry's implying by this line that these kids, not even, not even the idea that they'll be sent to Azkaban, that they'll be killed on the spot. Yeah. Well, speaking of kids, um, <laughs> Lupin's big bombshell drops. Uh, uh. Um, but first, okay. it it gets led up to and kind of a yeah. Here comes here comes the big time. God. <laughs> um, so Lupin actually um, offers to come with the trio on their mission. Um, and the interesting thing I think that we forget about a lot when we talk about the scene is that Harry's really tempted at first. He wants Lupin mm-hmm. to come with them. He wants he knows they're going to be facing stuff that he's not going to know how to handle and that Lupin could have um, could have some experience that would be helpful. But really the first reason he decides that Lupin shouldn't come is that Harry doesn't think that he could keep the secret from Lupin if he came. So does this, does this show that Harry's kind of growing up a little bit more? Or is it more that he's, this is an indication that he's becoming more and more like Dumbledore throughout this book? No, all it shows is that Harry is a stupid poop. 
<laughs> well, we all know Michael's opinion. <laughs> I just thought it was like trying to keep him safe away from their mission. Yeah. Like of what they're really having to deal with and not trying to bring another person into that. Does that does that make him like Dumbledore though? Because I feel like that was what Dumbledore was always trying to do. He kept things to himself to not endanger people. And it ended up endangering them more. But because <laughs> mm, this isn't, I don't think this way, if bringing Lupin along would endanger him more, I guess. I, I don't see him as Dumbledore, but I'm not a big fan of Dumbledore. I mean, I see where you're coming from. Uh, but I, I'd say no. I see the Dumbledore comparison. It, see, the, the thing that ends up, the hard thing about this discussion is that the ends. We can say now that the ends justify the means Uh Um, Mm -hmm. because Harry does what Dumbledore says. He takes his directive very, very literally, in my Mm -hmm. opinion, too literally, Mm -hmm. and he doesn't tell anyone, but it ends up fine. Um, But I think a lot of that is, well, one, Hermione is a lot of that. And (laughs) two, there's a lot of, you know... Not perhaps literal Felix Felicis, but there's there's some luck involved in how things go down. Mm-hmm. Um, d- there are certain things that Dumbledore just could not have possibly predicted. And things that I think happened that Dumbledore did not predict that yeah. just ended up working out. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like I, I, I'd like to think it's Harry growing up a little because there is a little... It's almost a, a show of teenage independence... Like, mm-hmm. no, Definitely. I don't want to tell you. I've got to do it by myself. Leave me alone. Yeah, we got and, this. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, it also just, I, I'll, I'll never get over it. And it's because I'm biased and the listeners, I know you'll, <laughs> I know you'll rag on me the whole week about this, but, I, it, and it, I admit it's because I'm biased, but, oh my God, take Lupin with you. Like, <laughs> he, Lupin yeah. is such... He's such a powerful wizard. Like, that's the thing that really gets me is that we have implications and we have confirmation from Pottermore through Rowling that Lupin was incredibly powerful. Um, like, he he was very knowledgeable in the kind of magic that they needed to know about. Yeah. Well, um, so so even if he has this baby? Yeah, that's well, what we'll I was going to say. I'm not factoring in the baby okay. yet. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> not factoring in the baby yet, then yes. If he were to go with them... Um, Snape's not making that potion for him anymore. Oh. So, yes. so maybe... So he can finally be the awesome... That's I a problem. S- uh, the awesome werewolf that They'll he was meant to be. They'll just separate every three days. I mean, once a month, <laughs> every we'll, few we'll days. We'll meet you back here in, like, two days. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like... <laughs> well, that's what's interesting, is that... Go like, kill some Snatchers, we'll be okay. <laughs> we'll save Voldemort and then separate. <laughs> Well, it's that's funny because Lupin implies that his werewolf powers will come in handy for them, because um, he just yeah, says, "You know true. what I am, and you know what I can do." Um, and I did assume that that meant like, do you have like a backup stash of wolfsbane potion somewhere that <laughs> anybody? He'd about? be a great guard dog. Yes, he'd be <laughs> <laughs> now that we've accepted that, if we're not factoring in the baby we're gonna get to the baby um so hermione maybe (laughs) 
spoilers. Um, Hermione is actually the one that brings up Tonks, um, which I thought was very interesting. Um, and kind of going back to that point of Harry growing up, because Harry doesn't think of this, is this an indication that he's still kind of looking for an adult to guide him? And he's, he, okay, I personally think at this point, Harry wants Lupin to come with them. He desperately wants that guide. He wants that adult supervision, if you will. He wants someone who can help him, like the people, like he's done for the past six years. Is that why Harry doesn't think about Tonks? Because he wants his old DA teacher back? DA, DA teacher back? Honestly, my thing is just, I mean, Hermione's a girl and is going to think it up. Harry is not. That's well, true. I think, that's, I think that's Hermione true. is starting to see Ron as, like, her significant other and, like, seeing him in danger, mm-hmm. you know, at the wedding. Like, that was kind of the priority, like, grab him and go. And mm-hmm. so I think she's more likely to make that connection of like, hey, you have that person that's important to you. What about what yeah. about her? And I don't think Harry's there yet, which is probably my issue with the Ginny stuff. But I was just <laughs> going to say that that's almost it's that almost is like a missed opportunity. Yeah, to, it definitely is. If Harry had noted it first, it yeah. would have almost strengthened the Ginny thing. Yep. Um. Because, yes, I have that same qualm, which is that he doesn't really... Like, he, we have, like, almost fixed, perfect moments where he's supposed to think about Ginny, so he thinks about Ginny. Um, and he doesn't think about her anymore. <laughs> so, um, I mean, really, does that... How much better does that make him than Lupin in this situation? Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, Harry did want to take Lupin with him. I want them to <laughs> them. I think any any reader would want that as far as just considering like considering your it's your first reread and you don't know that Lupin has a baby. Um <laughs> yes, that's you say yes. Yeah. Um but I'm not yeah, I'm not surprised that Hermione brought it up first cuz Hermione is more in tune with emotional things. Mhm. Well, speaking of this baby, that's going to become Teddy Lupin. Um, we we get a lot of Harry James and Teddy Remus parallels in this. Um, Harry really uses his father's actions that he knows of as the center of his argument. Um, (laughs) however, Lupin is really seriously worried about this child and what he's done in helping to create this child. And so... We, this is kind of where we get in that sticky gray area of who's kind of right. Not right, but who has the better argument, maybe, in this case? Both of them are right. <laughs> like, I don't think Harry, he just sees, oh, Lupin it just wants to ditch them, and then that's not acceptable. Like, he's not understanding mm-hmm. how worried Remus is about this baby and what he might have passed on to the baby and and putting Tonks in danger and all that sort of stuff. Because there's still no Wolfsbane potion. Like, he is dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I jumped to Lupin's defense because he, like, his argument that, the you know, the what he might have done, what, he, what kind of life he might have sentenced his child to um, is valid because he doesn't have any other examples to go off of. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Yeah. We we mm-hmm. know that other werewolves have had children now thanks to Pottermore, but of course other werewolves who have done that would never be public about that. Yeah. Um Yeah, true. It's it's essentially the same you know, and Rowling clarified on Pottermore that the the lycanthropy is a is a metaphor for AIDS, HIV and AIDS. Mm-hmm. Um and HIV and AIDS cannot be passed down genetically but they can be passed on it can be passed on in childbirth mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. so yeah. but there's ways to prevent that so but of course in 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 especially in third world un- underdeveloped countries um it passes on because a lot of individuals don't have an ability the ability to or the the care that they need so that they can prevent passing it on um and in lupin's case he he doesn't know what he whether it's going to pass on or not and mm-hmm. i think that's you know abandoning tonks no that was not the right solution right and to be fair it's not like he left her cold out on the street with eat. <laughs> he left her at her parents house um and the thing too is what i think is an interesting revelation from lupin is that he mentions that he doesn't believe that her parents are very happy about their marriage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yet another interesting layer about the Tonks family, because I, I mean, I don't know what to think of that because we don't get, any, we, we don't get much on the Tonkses after the yeah. fact. Yeah. I'm more inclined to believe that's just Lupin's insecurity. Oh, I was wondering that. Yeah. It's his self-loathing coming through. Yeah. Completely. I yeah. feel like, I feel like Ted Tonks especially would be understanding of, the feeling like an outsider and would be perfectly happy as long as he's a good man to have his daughter. The interesting thing perhaps with, we talked about Andromeda and how protective she is of, you know, how when Harry shows up, she has no interest in Harry. She's only interested in Mm talks. Wouldn't it be interesting if, you know, couldn't, couldn't you see a mother who's that protective of her child being, wary at least of the fact that her child just married a werewolf yeah (laughs) with um the tonks or no what am i trying to say ted and andromeda andromeda being kind of cut off from the black family i think they'd be much more conscious of not doing that to their daughter yeah Yeah. that's just my thought you know well the tonks and the the relationship between nymphadora and her family is not really expanded upon in a way where we can understand it. Yeah. Um, because Tonks implies that she has a tenuous relationship with her parents because she hates the name they gave her. Um, that's pretty much her opinion of them that we get is, you know, you're, wouldn't you, you know, hate your name if you're fool of a mother named you Nymphadora um, is kind of her side. And then we see, we see Andromeda who is very, invested in only her child really from the perspective of the war Mm -hmm. Um, and then we see ted who's kind of like the pretty stereotypical hufflepuff who seems very open and welcoming um but still cautious in his own way but yeah no it's it's kind of hard to suss out what the tonks family really thinks in this situation so i i don't know if we can say for like i i'd like to think it it's all lupin kind of drumming things up in his head because he's hysterical well, I think even if there was some truth to it, Ted and Andromeda seem like the kind of people who respect their daughter's choices. <laughs> and so I think they would just kind of have to be like, well, nothing we can do about it. 
doesn't matter what we think, really. We might as well just accept it and move on. Yes, Harry, as far as Harry's side of the argument, he starts out correct, but he takes it way too far. Yeah. Like, he, and again, in his mind, and as he says, and as the book notes, um, the end justifies the means, but yeah. I... To, to quote Chris Evans, I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like it. <laughs> I think Harry's little hothead Gryffindor head runs away with him and he he says things um, such as, this isn't quite as bad, but he's really upset and he brings up Sirius against Remus and says that Remus is trying to fill Sirius's shoes. Why? This this has always felt slightly out of the blue to me. Mm-hmm. So why 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 bring up Sirius and Sirius's recklessness, which has always kind of been a sensitive subject with Harry himself? I honestly think like it's gonna sound silly to say, but I honestly think it's because it was one of the meanest things he could say. I was gonna say yeah, when when you get hot headed and stuff, you think of the meanest things you want to say. Of course, you regret it later on, but which he does. You, Oh, yeah, you want to you want to hit it home, and because that to me that's while Lupin may be doing this too, I do think there's an element where Lupin is running away from his responsibilities, um, because that's that's pretty clear. Yeah, but I don't mm-hmm. think he's running away from his responsibilities with the specific intention of he's there's a selfish reason for it, but there's also. He has reason to himself that there is a larger reason, that being the war. But no, no, he's not being serious. <laughs> that, that was mean. <laughs> uh, um, not quite as mean as the uh, the final line he throws at him, um, which is that he he calls Lupin a coward, which is just. Really, Harry? Really? Like, really? (laughs) This is not the kind of thing you think of. Um, Which, obviously, it's a very heat of the moment. He regrets it almost immediately after. But, really, Harry? Coward? Yeah, that, you know... uh, That's that's kind of what we talked about last week with the weird comparison of Pettigrew and Lupin. Mm -hmm. Um... And the idea that, you know, coward is a word that is often attributed to Pettigrew. And I was wondering if that was meant to be foreshadowing for this. Um, uh, This is tough because I do think Lupin is being... uh, I don't know if coward is the right word because his concerns are justified. Definitely. Um, I, I do think the cowardly thing is that he's taking it all on himself and not letting anyone else in to help. Um... And that he's he's doing what he's always done. Um, that that's a bit cowardly because he knows that doesn't get him anywhere. But it's so it's so Gryffindor like that. That yes. is the absolute worst thing you could call a Gryffindor. Definitely. So yeah, for I sure. I know that that like that's where Harry's coming from. Not even that it's necessarily the right assessment. Just that that's the thing that will hurt him the most. To be fair, you know to to do something I don't usually do in this particular chapter, but to to play up Harry's side, you know, Harry's Harry's lost all of his guardians. His yeah. all of all of his parental mm-hmm. figures in his life and and as he says, you 
in the way that that has shaped his worldview, and he says it, it, it's a really striking, bold line, is the idea that parents shouldn't leave you unless they have to. Oh. Um, And I think he's seen that over and over and over again. Um, So, yeah. No, I think... It it's understandable that Harry says it the way he does, and he uses the word that way he does, and I think that's a great yeah. way to put it, Hannah. Too that he's like he knows the way to take a Gryffindor down completely. <laughs> yeah, we we kind of touched on this, but um, right after Lupin leaves, uh, Harry reflects on all of his parents, and I put parents in quotes because it's kind of like his adopted parents as well. Not that. That's not legitimate, but anyway. Because um, he, he thinks about Sirius, and he thinks about Dumbledore, and he thinks about his mother. Um, and it kind of goes back to this question of, it really seems like at this point, Harry just wants someone to guide him again. He wants, and this this is reflected, I think, at the end of the book, um, in in the forest scene, where, with the resurrection stone, where he... Um, he sees them all lined out there, and I think it also is reflective of the end of Half-Blood Prince when Dumbledore dies, and he says, everyone who stood in front of him is gone. Um, and I just wanted to mention, I this is such a beautiful thing um, about this book, is we're quite a ways in to the last book, and Harry still doesn't feel like he can take this on himself. He still doesn't feel like he's prepared for this. Um he hasn't quite accepted the hero role quite yet still. And it's yeah. just like, woo, mm-hmm. crazy. Yeah. It's, I, really I think like we're, it. I think we've talked a lot about how much of a journey Harry still has to go on. He's been through mm-hmm. a lot and he's still got a long way to go. Um, I really am. I mean, I'm really enjoying your interpretation, Allison, of kind of this Thanks. unspoken, <laughs> well, just this unspoken want for a parent. Um, like Harry doesn't really say it in these chapters, but it's very heavily suggested that this, like the idea that this, that this want for a parent still suggests that he's not ready yet. There's a line later on where he kind of says, I I think it's, they've land, it's, um, after they've just escaped the ministry, maybe. Um, but he kind of says the idea of sneaking through the forbidden forest to Hogwarts and the idea of other like other other people being in charge. Yeah, yeah. Like he's already mm-hmm. doesn't want to be in charge, and yeah. it, it has to be. <laughs> he's really mm-hmm. showing how much of a burden it is to be a hero, which I don't think we mm-hmm. see a lot in, especially in this kind of YA fiction. Is it's it putting people in the situation? That's a that's a lot to carry. Yeah, it, it's it's. I love kind of rooting out what about Harry Potter made it so unique for its time, um, and I do think that is one of those things is that so many characters who are the chosen one or the leader or the or you know the whatever um, happily take on the responsibility. Yeah, like mm-hmm. they're like, we, I'm important, and or like, <laughs> or they say, oh no, I don't want to, but okay, now yeah. I want to. All right, well. As Lupin leaves, runs out the door, kind of anyone last thoughts on this fight? Because this is a, this is a huge moment. I think this is probably the most serious fight to this date that we've seen any characters get into. To quote 
Dory speaking whale in Finding Nemo. <laughs> Come back! <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Allison, I turned your super serious question into a mockery. <laughs> Yes, this makes me super sad, and it's it's you know the 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 one thing that I will give it credit for is that Rowling spares no character in terms of making them morally gray. Um, Remus, just like everybody else, ends up being revealed to be human, which in a way is I think why I like him more. Uh, yeah, I think it makes the characters more. Well, I I feel like they're more endearing to me because mm -hmm. they, you know, I can understand that like, yeah, that's a terrible thing to do or a terrible thing to say, but everyone makes mistakes. Everyone does mm -hmm. things they shouldn't do and and to kind of see your favorite characters go through that. It's like, "Oh, okay, so I'm not a terrible mm -hmm. person because I did this terrible thing." I I don't yeah. know. You have you have a chance to redeem yourself, which Thankfully, Lupin does. <laughs> it's like it's a real life situation. I feel like we've all been in it before. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so it's good to see it. You know, everybody has fights and they say stuff that they don't mean to. Can I say, though, that like as, despite all of this, like, you know, it, it, maybe even because of this, Lupin is still my favorite character in the series. And I I don't know what it is about that particular line. This is just a random thing. But every time I read it, that line where he's like, will three become four? I'm just like, oh my God, you're so awesome. <laughs> Who says that? Nobody. Nobody. <laughs> I'm going to start what saying that. What Shakespeare play did you like walk out of? Like... So this table over here, is this three going to become four now? <laughs> I'm here, guys. <laughs> After Lupin is gone... Harry makes the mistake of uh, thinking reading a Rita Skeeter article is going to make him feel better. <laughs> so stupid. Not make, not make him feel worse, at least. It's true. <laughs> um, speaking of this article, though, this is a side note. I don't know why I picked up on this this time, but the town name of Mold on the Wold is just like <laughs> the best town name I think I've ever heard in my whole life. And I really appreciated it. It's so British. It's so British. <laughs> Into Rita's article. Um, there's a lot of speculation in this article. Obviously. But um, maybe just because I, uh, I work with writing all day, every day. Um, it, it's interesting to me the kind of rhetoric that Rita's using and how she's so good at presenting basically something she put together out of a few tiny little details as the honest, straight truth fact that no one can kind of refute. Um, including uh, the suggestion that Ariana is a squib. This is the second time we've mentioned squibs in this chapter. Yeah, as far as the, you know, the, I think part of the reason that Rita is also so good about uh, making her... Um, the make the canceling arguments out against her is um, that she's using direct quotes from Bathilda Bagshot. Yeah. Um, which is like the naughtiest part is that she's she like, but I, I, it's almost like she's using very selective quotes of what Bathilda said. Oh, definitely. Um, 
to make just the most uncomplimentary stuff and she's just taking it out of context i just had a real i keep having really terrible thoughts you guys i'm sorry um but <laughs> that's good this is a really terrible <laughs> chapter, <laughs> terrible chapter. <laughs> what what if dumbledore did something to her so that she she would never speak a, mm. about what mm. happened when he was younger huh that seems a little far, even yeah. for Dumbledore. Well, I don't know. <laughs> I won- Well, I wonder in terms of Dumbledore just being, even if it didn't happen when he was younger, maybe even later in life. Yeah. Um, because Dumbledore really did not want his past shared with For all his faults, though. Anybody. But she, like, told Lily. Yeah, yeah, she did. She did, so that probably not true unless she did it after lily and james died but what would his reason for that be yeah i i have a hard time believing that i think bathilda would have been smart enough to know what she should tell people and to keep people and to be i feel like most people are like if you're close to someone relatively and they have something you can be tactful you can respect their privacy you know yeah yeah Yeah. well hannah if it's any consolation somewhere noah is screaming and in in happiness at your (laughs) 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 i think that's a fun theory to bandy about to play with at least okay and because of this article um we start seeing kind of again one of these really big themes in this book of harry really starts wondering about truth and finding answers um but he doesn't even really know where he can start searching except for maybe to go to godric's hollow so what if they had gone what if they had gone sooner um how would have having ron there changed things do we think that well obviously we know that at this point nagini is with voldemort so we can assume that things that happened wouldn't have happened um how how would going at this point have changed things do we know the exact point when voldemort sent nagini to do what he did to bethil do what she did to bethilda do we know when that well i think we can assume that she's still with voldemort right now before they go to gringotts because that's what i was thinking was that she's with him when mm, yeah. everyone's there. But, I mean, we know we, she at least was there at the beginning of the book, which wasn't too Nagini, long ago. Well, and Nagini didn't get... See, this is something that's always... I've always been unsure of. It's it's always hard for me to keep track of when something gets turned into a horcrux. Mm-hmm. Um, did Nagini get turned into a horcrux when Charity Burbage was killed? No, it was Frank Rice. Oh, it was Frank. Okay, so yeah. she's already been a Horcrux for a while. So in that way, I'm I'm still kind of boggled that Voldemort was happy to just <laughs> leave her in Godric's Hollow for who knows how long. Um, like that was kind of a dumb plan on Voldemort's part. Having Ron there, I think, would have been beneficial as far as I think Ron would have been supportive of going to Godric's Hollow more than Hermione was. Mm-hmm. If Harry had been willing to bring that up, like Hermione shot him down so quick that he just didn't bring it up again. Yeah. Um, but I think if he'd had another chance to bring it up before Ron had left, 
I think Ron would have gone for that, especially in the case of Ron being so annoyed that there was no information to go off of. Definitely. I think he, you know, he would have seconded the idea of like, well, we're not getting anywhere, so let's just go there. And I think Ron would have been just as supportive and curious and intent on letting Harry just experience his home. I wonder if seeing um, Harry visit his parents' grave would have kept Ron from the, like, you have no family comment later oh, on. I don't, yeah. I don't know if that's a movieism or, or if that's the actual quote, but... Um, it's the same sentiment, though. Yeah, to, to kind of have thrown that in... Not throw it in Ron's face, but ha- have him actually experience the idea yeah. of a child yeah. going to his parents' grave. I, just, I kind of wonder if Ron wouldn't have left us. <laughs> Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I've always kind of been sad that Ron actually didn't get to share that moment with Harry yeah. and Hermione because it's a pretty yeah. big moment. It's actually one of my favorite moments in the book. Oh, I, I love that moment. I, mm-hmm. I, I've, I've actually always It's probably that my moment. favorite chapter. Yeah. I've actually <laughs> found that moment to be more striking in some ways than the forest again chapter. Um, that's an important moment and I think it's great and it has a lot of value, but there's something about the graveyard scene that just really... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. Sort of way. I don't know what it would have really achieved in as far as their quest, because as we find out, other than you know some scant information about Dumbledore, there's really not that much at Godric's Hollow. It's just a trap. That's true. It's a trap. That's a trap. All right, well, this chapter ends out um, kind of back where it began. A creature shows up, and this time he has he has someone in tow. Um, he's finally found McDungness, um, and we get a, a pretty brief interaction with them. I actually was surprised. I thought it was longer, but the movie, I think, makes it seem a lot longer. The movie makes it seem longer because it adds Dobby. Oh, yeah, that's true. I love that that part. (laughs) (laughs) Dobby's in the movie because he hasn't been in the last movie. So they're like, oh, by the way, remember this guy? But we we get kind of a a flashback we haven't thought of for a while. Uh, McDonough thinks that they've captured him because he left Moody. Um, Which made me wonder, how long ago was that? I have the timeline mixed up, I think, in my head because I'm bad with time. It's just a few weeks, right? Yeah, it's just a few weeks, yep. I, I think. We're into August now, right? Yeah, barely. Like a couple days in. So. So, week? <laughs> well, yeah, because yeah, it, it, oh, it, yeah. it happened at the end of July on Harry's birthday. Yeah. So, so, yeah, we're, we're, a couple, we're, we're, we're a week or so in, or two mm-hmm. into August. Um, so, yeah, it, it wasn't that long ago. Wow, mm-hmm. so much has happened in a week. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so th- this made me question though was no one else looking for him well i guess though the timeline's shorter um that it's more plausible that he was just evading capture but was anyone mm-hmm. in the order looking for him do we think God, or were they no. just like get out you're gone we don't care anymore yeah, yeah. no that's what i would have said <laughs> yeah they're like f you not, not even worth my time to save my own self right now <laughs> They've got the order has got way bigger fish to fry than yeah. finding Mundungus. Yeah. I That's think, true. I think he's completely worn out his value. 
mm-hmm. the order. Oh, definitely. Like, Whatever value he supposedly had. <laughs> yeah, right. right? <laughs> yeah, the thing I will never get over. Cannon fodder. <laughs> It's great to have, you know, a sneaky thief on your side, but he should you really he or she should really be a former sneaky thief. Yeah. Not still currently. Yeah. <laughs> like that's not good. With the way the downfall is happening, I'm sure they figured something bad will happen to him eventually. Yeah, he'll get his in the end. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and he will find him. He does. Which which is yeah. which is quite the moment. I mean it, it's really that show that he is on Harry's side. Also, ow. Like, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> the way that's described, she describes the pan in quite a lot of detail. <laughs> <laughs> and it just sounds incredibly painful. Um, his <laughs> quote that he says, perhaps just one more, Master Harry, for luck. <laughs> I was dying laughing yet again. I was like, I love that. That's so funny. You I can just see Ron sniggering in the corner. like. <laughs> <laughs> this is the scene that confirms that house, house elves have been brainwashed. Um, mm-hmm. Like, and that there's very, like, I think there's still a magical element, but it's a very, like, it. it's a minor player. And that the major issue is that they have been brainwashed because creatures. Oh, yeah. cr- he's making jokes. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's yeah. cracking jokes. He's cracking he, jokes. Yeah, he's, he's expressing a, a very personal, independent thought. Yeah. Um, that, doesn't seem like it comes from a house elf here's here's the potential of what a house elf could be working alongside a wizard rather than under a wizard your snarky little sidekick right (laughs) oh my god wouldn't it be great see it won't happen because it takes place in the past but oh my god wouldn't it be great if newt's commander had a snarky house elf sidekick oh man (laughs) that would be wonderful (laughs) someone throw it in throw it in Oh man! If that is not in the movie rolling, rewrite that script. Oh my god! <laughs> or put, throw it in the play. Throw it in the play. Yeah, but you're still yeah. working on that. <laughs> when she listens to the episode this Saturday, she'll be like, "Oh, I have an idea." <laughs> uh, and then we end the chapter by finding out that Umbridge, of all people, has Slytherin's locket. So Umbridge is in control of a piece of Voldemort's soul. Well, toad-like oh. face. And we end with Harry's scars on the back of his hand tingling, which uh. is a very, very, very good way because Umbridge isn't mentioned at all. It, yeah. they just throw in enough of the things that were said about her in Order of the Phoenix that you know right away who who's being talked about. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. and it's the hairs on my arms just go up. Ugh. And that's where we leave this chapter. Well, with that horrible sour thought of being left with umbrage at the end of the chapter we'll try and turn it away from that and for our podcast question of the week we must ask what if three became four <laughs> epic british accent like there needs to be like epic british trailer music playing behind that that's just so epic <laughs> but really what in a world <laughs> in a world <laughs> When three become four. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> we want to know, what if Lupin had joined the trio on their quest? Would the trio have been forced to reveal Dumbledore's plans to Lupin? How would this have changed their course of action? And how would this have affected Tonks' relationship to Lupin? As well as how we, as readers, see Lupin. 
To answer that podcast question of the week, head on over to alohamora.mugglenet.com. Um, and just remember, hashtag Lupin Love, but you can still <laughs> critique Mr. Lupin because we're all about digging deep on Alohomora. And we also want to thank our special guest, Hannah, for being on today. Hope you had a good time. Oh, it was great. Thank you, guys. Hannah was awesome. You were awesome. (laughs) If you would like to be on the show, just like Hannah, go to our Be On The Show page at alohomora.mugglenet.com. All you need is a set of basic headphones with a microphone, so like your Apple ones, and you are all set. No fancy equipment. And while you are on the site, make sure you download a ringtone for free. (laughs) Free! Sorry. (laughs) Delby is free! (laughs) (laughs) He has no master! (laughs) (laughs) And... In the meantime, you can get in touch with us here on Alohomora. You can follow us on Twitter at AlohomoraMN. That is our Twitter handle. Facebook.com slash OpenTheDumbledore. Our Tumblr, MN Alohomora Podcast. Our Instagram, which is uh, a recent acquisition for us. Instagram, AlohomoraMN there as well. Our phone number that nobody ever calls anymore. <laughs> 206 Go Albus. That's 206 462 5287. Or um, the uh, more preferred alternative, you can send us an audio boom. Um, if you go to alohamora.mugglenet.com, our main site, you'll see the audio boom app over on the right sidebar. It is free to use. Um, just make sure if uh, to keep your messages under 60 seconds so that we can actually play them on the show. And all you need for that is a microphone. And while you're on our website sending us an audio boom, make, make sure you check out our store. We've got all sorts of things. House shirts, desk pig, Mandrake Liberation Front, Minerva is my homegirl, and so many more. And hopefully we should be, have some new designs coming soon. We, I know we've been kicking around a couple ideas, and we've got a new graphic designer. So we should have some cool stuff coming. Yay! Woo-hoo. And don't forget to check out our smartphone app available around the world. Around Around the the world, world, around the world, around. Prices may vary. There are transcripts, bloopers, alternate endings, (laughs) host blogs, and much, much more. Okay, well, that's been the. (laughs) This chapter was heavy. (laughs) (laughs) So we're gonna go lighten things up a little bit now that. Great Scott! Great Scott! This chapter. Chapter is heavy. By the, by the way, listeners, it was Back to the Future Day just before this recording. So if you're wondering why we're sticking all those yeah. references in there, that's why. Harley. But for now, we're signing off. I am Michael Harley. I'm Kristen Keyes. And I'm Allison Sigurd. Thank you for listening to episode 161 of Aloha Mora. Open the Dumbledore. Three become four.